Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 126 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is July 14th, 2010. We've got a really good show for you this week on the podcast. If you don't know, the Peristyle Podcast is our weekly internet radio show talking all about the USC Trojans. And of course, there's been a lot to talk about this offseason. We're winding down. Fall camp is only a few weeks away, so we'll actually have some football to talk about. Uh, this week, we're going to change it up a little bit. We're going to have USCFootball.com's Brian Fisher join us in the first segment for an extended first segment. We have a lot of questions, some about the offensive line, some about incoming freshmen, some about sanctions. So we're going to ask Brian all of those, and we'll talk to Harvey Hyde a little bit later on in the show. He is actually in transit from Las Vegas to Los Angeles, so we're going to catch up with him a little bit later. If you have any questions or comments, we got a lot of them this week. You can drop us an email. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. And as promised, we have Brian Fisher here in the first segment. Brian, what's going on, man? Doing good, Ryan. Just uh, trying to enjoy these last few weeks before the uh, the grind of two-a-days and, and fall camps gets, gets going at USC. Certainly, yeah. And it's, it's funny, uh, I've been doing a bunch of different radio interviews lately. We have a lot of questions. I want to get to those. But I want to kind of get your comment on this. I was... Being asked about you know what the uh, attitude is around USC and things like that, and I was just thinking about it when you talk to some of the reporters that ask you these questions. I mean, for the players, if you put a player's perspective out there, I mean, it doesn't matter about sanctions. I mean, they still have to get up at six thirty and go to their workouts, or they still have to go to class. They still have to do everything that is their normal routine. And if there's a, a one game that's six months away that they're not going to be able to play in, it seems to me from talking to these guys, that's like the furthest thing from their mind. I mean, they have such a busy schedule. I don't think they are, they're afforded the opportunity to be able to, to look ahead or, or look down to the fact that they won't be playing one game in January when they have so much to do you know, right now. Yeah, you know, I think the, the players have really kind of focused on the here and the now and what they can control and that's certainly been Lane Kiffin's message for, you know throughout this whole ordeal and uh you know to me it's actually kind of surprising how how well the players have taken things and um you know you mentioned that it's only been one game and that they that they'll miss and you know I, I always thought that the bowl games were you know a little bit of fun at the end of the season you know you know a lot of times we were you know, for years we were obviously going to the Rose Bowl and, and covering that, and the players would go to the Beef Bowl, and, and you know they would get their Rose Bowl backpacks, and it all seemed you know a, a, a lot of fun surrounding the bowl. And you know, I, I don't think that I think missing that will be be something that'll kind of hit them later in the season when they're like, oh wait, we really don't. You know, once once we leave the Rose Bowl against UCLA, we're really kind of done for the season. I I don't think that's kind of set in, but. Maybe it's just the the focus on fall camp these next couple of weeks and getting prepared for the season is kind of taking their mind off of a lot of things that have been going on around the program, especially you know when you talk about appeals and bowl bans and all that. You know, it, the players have really kind of focused on uh, what's coming up with the you know within the program. All right. Well, let's get to some of these questions then, Brian. And uh, we have uh, Gerald, not to be confused with Gerard, who is. Taking a little, a much-needed vacation right now, so we're going to have uh, Brian talk some of the recruiting stuff this week on the podcast. Gerard's a really hard worker. I mean, we all work hard here, but Gerard's always, you know, hitting it and stuff. So we're going to give him a week off, and uh, he needs some vacation time. I'm not sure where he's going, maybe down the Cayman Islands or something. But you know, we'll <laughs> we'll give Gerard some time off, and we'll uh, we'll handle the recruiting stuff. That okay, Brian? I'm down for that. I certainly uh, talk with him and try to keep up with everything as well. So hopefully, I know I can't live up to the, quite the uh, expectations of Gerard, but uh, I will certainly try. We, we all just try, Brian. We can't. You yeah, know, yeah. Uh, well, Gerald, okay, had a few questions, and it's really focused on the offensive line. And I think uh, we put out a depth chart, if you uh, a scholarship chart uh, that's really good, a distribution chart. If you want to check it out on uscfootball.com, you can kind of see all the different players broken down by class and position and uh, certainly offensive line. Uh, you know, there's some numbers there. There's 11 guys on scholarship right now. 
Uh, not really a lot of walk-ons to speak of. They're going to lose three guys that are seniors uh, you know, after this year. And they're going to need some guys to step up and plumb in there. You know, With only one true freshman coming into the mix uh, without Chantrell Henderson, I think a lot of people are kind of concerned about the offensive line. So that's what these questions are about. But the first one is, Brian, with all the injuries in the spring on the offensive line, and USC did lose a lot of guys. They were down to six or seven guys sometimes uh, during spring football. What is your opinion on the current depth at offensive line? And, and, and is everyone healthy now? Uh, well, I think everyone's healthy. I, you know, there's still a, every once in a while, you know, a nagging injury might pop up with a guy or, you, you know, you tweaks an ankle and that's just stuff that you can't control. But I think the, the depth of the line is, is okay right now. Um, you know, there's only one offensive lineman coming in in Giovanni DePaulo with the release of Chantrell Henderson to, uh, to eventually go to Miami. Um, you know, I, I think they can get through the season. It, it'll be tough to sustain multiple hits. You know, if Tyron Smith and then Butch Lewis and maybe someone else gets hurt for a game or two, you know, if, if you start taking multiple hits, um, USC can really be in trouble. If they, you know, their first, you know, starting five that they'll they'll roll out against Hawaii is going to be a really really good strong group. I, you know, I think there's a, a lot of potential in this group to be, you know, one of the better offensive lines in the country if they stay healthy. Um, but if you look at, okay, say one guy goes down for an extended period of time or, you know, like we saw with Chris O'Dowd where he injured his knee early on in the season, um, and it took him, uh, you know, almost half the season to kind of recover from the injury and get back playing at full strength. Uh, that's where the questions are going to come in. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I don't envy the job that, that the line coach James Craig has at all because, it will be tough managing, you know, playing time and trying to keep the guys healthy. And, um, you know, if anything, I think the, especially the early games uh, against Hawaii, Virginia, Minnesota, the coaches are really going to try to play some of those young guys like Kevin Graff and, and, and John Martinez and get those guys in there and get some experience. So in case they do have to come in, um, you, know, you know, they don't freak out being in front of 90,000 fans and, and they can kind of handle it. So it'll be, it'll be important to develop the depth, but I, I think it's okay right now, uh, but certainly a need that they need to address in recruiting. You also want to talk about some of the guys that can play multiple positions, some of the backups. I mean, I think when you do have limited numbers, having some utility guys can really help. I mean, I mean a guy like Butch Lewis kind of comes to mind. He's played some multiple positions. Who else do you think, or even you know, comment on Butch, Guys that can be those utility guys that can play multiple places. Uh, yeah, you know, certainly Butch is a guy who can move up and down the line and really play any position along the offensive line. I, I think especially when you talk about those veterans, they can really play you know wherever you want. Uh, be it, you know Zach Heber could play left or right guard, but he could probably even maybe slide out to the tackle you know if pressed uh, as an older guy who knows the offense. Um, you know, you look at a John Martinez who can play center or guard and has been trained in both, uh, Giovanni DiPaolo coming in. He's been playing center right now, got a few snaps. Um, you know, he came in as, you know, he was originally a tackle in high school, so he could, you know, maybe slide outside or play a guard as well. It's a very flexible offensive line. I think that's the one thing that, uh, under Pat Rule, USC looked for in offensive linemen were, were flexible guys. You know, Jeff Byers is a name who came up a lot, who played a lot of, uh, you know, guard and center and, and kind of, you know, shuffled wherever was needed. Um, I think that's an important part of, of USC's offensive line versus a lot of other teams in the country where, you know what, I got four tackles, I got three guards, I got a center, I, you know, I got two centers. Um, you know, USC is very flexible, and I, I think that definitely helps when you're talking about maybe absorbing a hit here or there throughout the season. But, uh, you know, again, it's just trying to get a lot of guys experienced at their position. You know, uh, whether it be Kevin Graff getting experience at tackle or guard, I, I don't think it matters as much as just getting some of that experience. And, uh, you know, certainly nice to have guys that can move along the offensive line like Butch Lewis. But uh, at the end of the day, you're going to have to send out five no matter what position that they're playing. All right. Well, then he's going to talk about uh, Gerald continues on. He has a few good questions here. So we wanted to kind of make this a feature of the podcast this week, just talking about the offensive line, because we did get a lot of questions and people talk about it on the message boards. But depth at the offensive line for the future, he talked about losing Chantrell Henderson. That was a guy that was expected to be an anchor on this unit for the next three or four years. And Marcus Martin, the only commitment for 2011 so far. He wanted to get an update on some of the, the offensive line prospects that USC 
uh, is looking at now. What, where do you think the, the prospects are right now for USC and offensive linemen for the class of 2011? Uh, well, you know, I think a lot of the focus right now is, is on more the out-of-state offensive linemen. It, it, it's an okay year for California offensive linemen, but it um, seems like USC's uh, not really interested in a, in a lot of the prospects. You know, we see a, um, a few prospects going to UCLA, a few going out to, to even out-of-state. Um, but USC's kind of focusing on those marquee players around the nation that are offensive linemen. You know, with the promise that, hey, you know, without Chantrell Henderson coming in, you know, we do have spots, you know, with the depth situation on our offensive line, you will be able to play, maybe not as a freshman, but you'll you'll be able to play pretty early in your career at USC, you know, given the hits along the offensive line, either through graduation or with the scholarship reductions. Um, and, and I think that some prospects are kind of responding to that. Um, you know, I just talked with uh, Cyrus Kuandijo uh, a, a couple days ago, I think it was last week. Um, he's a five-star offensive lineman from uh, Maryland. Uh, his brother went to Alabama and was another uh, highly recruited athlete. Uh, USC was kind of in the final two for him, so uh, there is a familiarity with the family. Um, you know, he's got all you you want size-wise. You know, six seven. You know, three thirty or so. Um, one of the top offensive linemen in the nation. I think USC has a chance if they can get him to come out and visit. Um, you know, which he said he was open to. And, uh, you know, he'd be a guy that, that might have enough interest in, in maybe kind of leaving the East Coast and, and coming out. And, and if the coaches have enough, uh, can sell him well enough on the early playing time, he could be a guy that could be interesting. Um, you know, Jordan Walsh is a guy from uh, Illinois. Uh, he seems like maybe a, a, a Big Ten type of guy. But, uh, you know, he admitted uh, a few days ago that, you know, he's. Uh, you know, USC intrigues them, and, and you see that a lot of from a lot of offensive linemen is that you know USC is kind of an intriguing picture, and I think that goes with you know Coach Orgeron and Coach Kiffin being such good good recruiters, uh, you know, and and really kind of selling the program well, you know, in the face of such adversity. Um, a lot of these offensive linemen are kind of taking a look at USC, and although I don't know if they'll eventually commit there, I, I think they will have enough to where. USC can kind of get their foot in the door and, you know, maybe flip a player. Um, you know, Greg Robinson is a, a guy from Thibodeau, Louisiana. He's probably going to go, you know, leaning towards LSU, but you never know with a, you know, a guy like Ed Orgeron recruiting that area of Louisiana. He could be a guy that, you know, maybe kind of looks around at USC and says, hey, I want to kind of get out of Louisiana. Um, Antonio Richardson, another guy who has USC uh, pretty high on his list. Um, you know, he, he was recruited by Lane Kiffin at Tennessee very early on when he was a sophomore. So there's a, a long relationship with the coaching staff for him. Uh, he's another guy, you know, 6'6", 3'10", uh, could be a very good offensive tackle um, and, and, you know, maybe even, uh, you know, play a little flexible left-right tackle or, or even maybe even slide into guard, kind of like we saw with Kevin Graff. But, um a lot of players outside of state, and that's kind of the focus, I guess, um, so far. Um, you know, outside of Marcus Martin on on the coaching staff is looking at offensive linemen, some premier elite offensive linemen out of state to bring in to kind of replace Chantrell Henderson. And uh, you know, I I would expect outside of Marcus Martin that the coaching staff is going to try to get maybe three. Four, if they can can really you know get some guys, you know, four offensive linemen would be a pretty solid class, um, given how how few they've recruited the last few years. All right, cool. Well, thanks, Gerald, for all those questions, and thanks, Brian, for uh, the answers there. Let's move on. Pat wanted to know: Have all the 2010 recruits shown up this summer? All of them enrolled and eligible. In particular, I haven't heard anything about Vanuku, Thomas, DePaulo, Pull- Pullard. Wright, Uko, Woods, Scroggins, Bailey, Brown, Grimble, Telfer, or Morgan. Pat, you know, I have to uh, scold you a little bit. We're going to read your question, but if you're checking out the site, Brian's put up some wonderful pictures of all of these guys, uh, except for one, and I'm sure he'll tell you about that. And we've put up a lot of video. We've seen just about everybody on that list. So definitely guys are on campus and, and participating in the off-season workouts. And, uh, Brian, maybe you can make a few comments there as well. Who isn't there? 
well, I mean, uh, if you look at back at, you know, signing day and the people that were not coming here, that are not here, there's, you know, a lot of reasons. If you take a look at that list, obviously Marquise Jackson, he's at Texas Southern. Uh, you know, I don't think he was a guy that, that qualified, but, uh, He's a guy that kind of waffled back and forth. He's not here. Uh, you know, he's at Texas Southern. Demetrius Wright is here. Uh, corner from Corona looked very good, very good size uh, for a corner, and really kind of impressed me when he's been able to get in there. Uh, Robert Woods is here. Uh, he's looked very impressive uh, running routes and whatnot. I think he could uh, be an impact player uh, this year if if they learn if he can learn the offense quick enough. We saw it with Devon Flournoy. Uh, his freshman year where he kind of struggled learning the offense, and so he didn't make as big an impact um, as he could have. Some of Inuku, uh, he's still waiting on a few classes to uh, get cleared so he can be admitted. He looks a guy, like a guy that will probably come in uh, right around fall camp or maybe even right around when school starts. Um, you know, we've seen this before. Curtis McNeil uh, took a long time getting cleared by the NCAA Clearinghouse and getting through and enrolled. Uh, Nick Perry was another guy that had the same situation and uh, someone of Inuku could be another guy um, that kind of falls into that same category. Otherwise, you know, George Uku is here, Christian Thomas, Randall Telfer, uh, Glenn Stanley is looking uh, to get out of his letter of intent. And so he has not shown up. He's looking a lot at uh, Florida state and some other Florida schools. So, um, you know, if the coaching staff, uh, you know, can't convince them to come back out here, it's, it's possible He'll uh, definitely be released from his letter and intent and head back east. Um, other than that, you know, Jesse Scroggins is here, Nickel Roby, uh, Hayes Pullard has been out there, uh, Kyle Prater obviously already here uh, from the spring, DJ Morgan, uh, Xavier Grimble, Giovanni DiPaolo, Anthony Brown, Deion Bailey, Marquis Ambles, they've all been out there. And so, uh, you know, all but really uh, by Nuku, uh, you know, kind of the big hole, I guess, uh, of the 2010 class that isn't actually on campus. Yeah, so Pat, make sure you check out uscfootball.com. We've been putting up pictures for free, and if you're a subscriber, we've put up some video mm-hmm. and stuff as well, so you can check those guys out, see what they look like. Man, I mean, just initial, you gave some initial thoughts, Brian. All the tight ends look <laughs> like they look like yeah. these big guys. I mean, maybe there's an offensive lineman among that group. There are some big dudes out there running tight end routes. Yeah, and I, you know, I was really—I've always been impressed with Randall Telfer, and, and I think he's the one guy that, that's definitely staying at tight end. That you know, I really like his size and the way he runs routes and catches the ball. Uh, Christian Thomas and Xavier Grimble are just huge out there. It's really amazing to see those guys run routes and, and as big as they are, move as well as they did. And you know, if you remember, Charles Brown came in uh, to USC as a tight end and has eventually moved inside as an offensive lineman. Xavier Grimble is probably the bigger of the of the two. Um, you know, he, he's a legit six, five, six, six, you know, about two fifty, and running around the football field as a tight end. So we'll see if, if they end up moving him inside to tackle, or if it's Christian Thomas, um, who would probably have to add a lot more weight, uh, you know, if he were to play offensive line, but, uh, it's pretty impressive to see those big guys running around and, uh, they'll definitely be a force, you know, if, if USC needs some extra blockers, you know, down in a goal line package or anything like that, because the guys are moving really well and, uh, you know, very impressive and just another target for Matt Barkley and Mitch Mustaine. All right. Uh, next one's up from, we didn't get a real name. We got Fuberman is the one that, uh, this is the question coming from Fuberman. All right. Thanks for the first time question. He says, am I crazy to think, and I, with a name like Fuberman, you might be crazy, but to, crazy to think that the reason the NCAA docks USC so many scholarships is that USC brings in small classes. USC rarely brings in more than 20, so docking USC five scholarships wouldn't really do anything. I can't imagine they'd actually say that, but I do believe that's what they were thinking. What do you think, Brian? I, you know, it, it's tough to think in the you know conspiracy theory world, but I, I think there's certainly some validity to that. I mean, you know, certainly the members in the committee probably looked at how many classes that USC assigned the past couple of years and, and realized, you know what, five scholarships doesn't really hurt them because they, they've only gone over 20, you know, I think once in the last four or five years. So it uh, it's certainly something to keep in mind. I don't know if they, they expressly came out and said, you know, look, uh, you know, USC uh, doesn't take 
you know, more than 20. So we're going to have to dock them more than that. So it really hurts them. You know, it, it's, it, it would be tough to get that out of any committee member uh, to say that they would go that far. But, you know, certainly an interesting theory. And uh, I'm sure they took a look at how many USC has signed the past three or four years, uh, you know, especially since the, the class that Reggie Bush was in, um, and, and know that, yeah, it would have to be a big penalty to actually hurt him. But you know, as as Dan Weber has pointed out in a few of his columns, you know, when talking to Michael Buckner, it's, it's just unusual when you have one uh, athlete who is charged with taking extra benefits. It's usually double that um, in terms of scholarship loss. Which in this case, you know, one athlete accused, and you know, you would have two scholarships taken away. And so, going to ten a year is, is definitely unusual, and something that USC is definitely probably going to point out in their appeal. And um, you know, hopefully, I'm sure USC fans are hoping that they do point that out. Certainly, yeah. I mean, it seems like an excessive amount of scholarships, and I, I think some national members of the media point this out, and we've talked about this before on the podcast. I mean, if there's a team in the country that's equipped to you know, at least weather the storm of a 10 scholarships per year ban, uh, you know, reduction, I think USC's got to be up there because it, there's not a lot of schools that are ranked that highly in rivals. I don't think there's any schools that would be ranked in the top five of the rivals recruiting classes year in and year out and still only get 18, 19, 20 guys listed because they normally get, you know, a smaller number, but they're, you know, everyone's a four-star or a five-star. So, I mean, reducing down from you know, 20 to 15 or so, that's a major reduction for sure. But if there's a team that can handle it in the country, it's probably USC. Yeah, you know, I, I think I was doing something on signing day where I was just looking at the average uh, number of stars that Rivals goes out to USC's classes. And, and they were by far and away, you know, the the highest out of any class. You know, you're not, you're not looking at a program like a Florida or an LSU that they get some high quality athletes for sure, but they're still taking 25, 26 guys to fill out the roster. Um, you know, you really don't see that at USC. You know, I, I don't even remember any time, you know, and since I've been here in, in 06 that, that USC's really kind of even bumped up against the 85 man uh, scholarship limit. They just, they're very selective and, and, and yeah, they can handle 15 pretty well, but still, that's going to hurt them down the road when you're when you're looking at depth and you're looking at guys maybe getting hurt or something like that. That's when the 15 will really come into effect. It, it won't be this year or next year. It'll be, you know, three or four or five years down the road. All right. Well, thanks, Fuberman, for that. Uh, next up is Scott has a few questions. Uh, he said that Gerard alluded to knowing a little bit more about what was happening behind the scenes in the potential lawsuit and appeal. Do you guys feel or have any faith that USC will finally handle something appropriately and maximize this opportunity to reduce the sanctions by pressing the NCAA with the unspoken threat of bringing stuff to public and utilizing a court of law. What do you think, Bri? Well, you know, I, I think uh, my personal opinion, I'm going to be wait, you know, I'll wait to be proven wrong and, you know, and seeing if USC can, can properly handle this case and, and do the PR and, and whatnot. And, uh, I don't think that they understand the the magnitude of the case, and I don't think they understand you know what they can do to help their cause, especially from a PR standpoint. You know, if you look at what this has cost them, it's really tarnished the USC brand. You know, if if you go in the South, USC was going to be you know disliked just because of the success of the football program. I think that was a given. But now that you have this out, um, you know that they oh they had. They paid players, and they, you know, Pete Carroll was guilty. You know, that's gonna that's gonna infringe on the USC brand as a as a school itself. I, I think eventually, when you when you talk about USC and you associate USC in, in different parts of the country, especially outside of California, you know, I, I think it's going to be the football program equals the school. And if you're the president or the incoming provost, that's not what you want. You want to kind of clear the football program as as much as you can. And focus on USC as an academic institution, and that that's something that kind of goes on talk about, you know. But it certainly is, uh, you know, a big factor for USC because it's kind of guilt by association at this point, and and they're doing nothing to dispel that at all. And uh, you know, all it would take is some press conferences if they were would be honest and open and upfront, uh, very similar to what Michigan is doing in their NCAA case. Then it would certainly be, uh, you know, I think a different story around much of the country and a, and a different opinion on USC. And so uh, I'll, I'll be wait. I'll wait to be proven wrong 
if if USC can handle the appeal, we'll see. We, you know, maybe they maybe they fully have a press conference when the appeal gets filed, and they you know start doing PR after the appeal has been put in. But uh, I'm, I I wouldn't be surprised, I guess, if, if they they just kind of kept clammed up and and didn't really do much at all. All right, yeah. And Dan Weber had a piece today that went up on uscfootball.com. You can check it out. Talking to uh, the lawyer Michael Buckner, the only uh, attorney that's actually challenge it you know the ncaa with an appeal and won uh with was it alabama state brian is that what it was yes alabama Al- state in yes. 08 yeah the only the, so he's the only attorney to actually beat the ncaa and he was been a little critical you know, he's a usc grad but was definitely critical of the way usc's kind of handled things and certainly there's a lot of blame to kind of go around and you know usc fans can only hope that you know the administration kind of gets their act together they obviously haven't handled things well so far they were everyone was shocked and surprised by this ruling, which means that they're, you know, they're, they're, what they thought was going to happen was pretty far off what actually happened. That's going to be a challenge for them going forward. But you know, there's still a chance with the appeal. We'll have to see about that. Um, he also wanted to know, Brian, how realistic is it to find early enrollees to fill the gaps that seem to be forming each week as player, as backup players opt out and transfer out of the program. You know, finding early enrollees and identifying guys is probably one of the more difficult things that that this staff is going is going to have to do because you know it involves a lot of legwork uh, academically and, and checking up on these kids. You know, as they're they're going into their senior year, you want to get them in summer school. You want them to to pass some summer school classes so that they they get that chance. And um, you know, certainly the kids that have been looking at it for you know looking at uh, enrolling early for the last you know year or two. Have have the game plan laid out and and they're following that and they're getting ready you know to enroll early enrolling. You don't really have to worry about those kids, but kids that are you know hey maybe I can take three classes during the summer and I can maybe possibly get you know done in December. Those are the kids that the, the staff is going to have to work with and identify how they can get it done and it, it's going to be very difficult for them. Um, certainly, there are enough kids around the country that can graduate in December and come in in the spring. Uh, to where they count for the the previous year's class, that I, I I think they'll be able to get you know four or five uh, guys, and, and that would be a lot for for any other school is, is getting four or five early enrollees. Whether they can get uh, as many as ten, I don't think they can. Uh, you know that would be really tough to do. But uh, you know it's just a, a lot of work on the coaching staff and working with the administration at USC and at the the kids' high school just to make sure that they're on the right track and. And getting into a tough institution to get into, like USC, where the academics are very tough, um, you know, you got to you got to hurdle that as well. And we've seen cases, where, you know, like Anthony Brown, where he he graduated early, but he just c- couldn't quite get into school yet, and and had to kind of wait until the fall and and come in. And uh, it, it's a little bit tough, you know. You really got to work with the the coaches and the administrators and the kids and the parents and a lot of leg legwork for the coaches. But um, certainly, I think they can get four or five, and uh, you know that will definitely help uh, with the numbers game. And it looks like just looking at the class coming in for 2010, they probably have seven or eight spots they could fill. I don't know if they could get up to ten, but just it depends on if they count Patrick Hall and stuff. But just from my quick count here, from the distribution chart it looks like they can get seven or eight guys come in to get them up to 25 for the class of 2010 right yeah i think that's yeah looking at the scholarship chart that's what uh we figured out but um you know again they you know they have kent Turin who said he's going to be an early enrollee uh you know cody kessler said he's going to be an early enrollee uh hadari the kicker and the, the long stamper brick bride both said that they've coming in early so um We'll see how the numbers crunch works out, but uh, you know, just because the kids say they are coming in, doesn't mean that they're actually able to physically come in and, and, and enroll in January. So that, it's something to keep an eye on, and uh, and it'll be uh, it'll be different. So we'll we'll see how it works out. And and you know, again, it's just uh, tough on the coaching staff to to double check with all this stuff, but uh, they're going to have to do it if they're going to get these kids in. All right, last thing from Scott. Do you think the hiring of Lane Kiffin was the straw that broke the camel's back and all the NCAA needed to conclude that USC was arrogant and thought they were above the arm of the NCAA? 
I don't. I think the the hiring of Lane Kiffin probably sent uh, more questions around the, the college football world than it did with the NCAA. I really don't think that had uh, much of an effect at all. I think if if you're looking at the NCAA, I think their intent in a lot, in a lot of this case was was already decided. Uh, you know, and by the time he was, you know, I think he was Kiffin was hired. You know, in in early January, and the hearing was in February. So there's not much that the you know committee could have done and said, oh wait. We'd now really have to punish them now. You know, they hired this guy, you know, a month ago. And, um, you know, that, that seems a little far-fetched that they would, they would punish USC just for hiring a guy with, like Lane Kiffin, who, who really only committed secondary violations, you know, and, and really he drummed those up to a point where he made them public when most schools will just report them and it, it, it won't be much news at all. You know, it's just uh, some minor secondary violations here or there during his tenure at Tennessee and you know, he kind of got a bum rap for it, but um, I don't think it, it played into any of the NCAA's thinking that, Oh, they hired Lane Kiffin. So they're, they're really too arrogant. I think if anything, it would be, you know, the, the comments by Mike Garrett or, you know, any of the administration that they didn't get to expect, you know, to get hit this hard. And uh, you know, certainly the, the comments that, Mike Garrett made in San Francisco talking about how they were just jealous of USC and, and the winning and all that. Uh, you know that that would have been much more weight coming out of his his mouth than uh, anything of the hiring of Lane Kiffin. All right. Uh, next up, we got Josh. Kind of a follow up a little bit to what Scott was talking about. If current players leave USC, like we've seen a couple of them happen that that happen, could their scholarships be offered to other players like next year's? recruits and if you look at the scholarship chart brian just real quick there's 71 guys currently on scholarship um you know that the the bolt the, the sanctions are that they'll be down from 25 to 15 per year 2011 2012 2013 classes and they have to stay under 75 scholarships but maybe just explain a little bit it's not like if one guy leaves you could get an, you don't get an extra scholarship Right. Well, right now, you know, it's important to keep in mind you're kind of working off, uh, you know, two different sheets. Right now, USC is limited to uh, 20 incoming counters and uh, 80 total scholarships. That's that's based on, uh, you know, the appeal process still going through and what they've kind of self-imposed for this year. Um, you know, if the full penalties get upheld, then yeah, it'll be 15 initial counters and uh, 75 total scholarships, and that 15 initial counters is is. 15 guys coming in, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, mostly incoming freshmen, um, and, you know, or, uh, you know, guys, you know, down the road that are coming in early that, that they'll count for that initial 15. Um, you can't really replace a guy who transfers or leaves. You can't really just replace that guy. So, you know, DJ Shoemate and Blake Jackson left. So, no, they, they don't have 17 this year that they can give out. Uh, it doesn't really work that way. The way they count incoming people in, in this or not. Uh, I, I think, based on what my reading is, that they could give that scholarship to, say, a walk-on or something like that, and, and it wouldn't really count other than that total 80 or 75-man uh, limit. Um, but again, it's, it's all very complicated, and, and you got to figure out when this guy counts and you know how he comes in and what scholarship he uses. And if he's using a track scholarship, he's actually – goes to a football scholarship stuff like that you know it's all very complicated and you know you you speak in you know oh hypotheticals he's doing this he's doing that it's really difficult until the the kid actually comes in or the kid actually leaves um to actually say this is what the the situation is uh just because there's so many uh factors and it really kind of boggles your mind and, and certainly i'm sure the coaching staff has a a few uh scholarship charts and and whatnot trying to figure out what what it means and um it, it's definitely pretty difficult to find out but no um you can't just replace a guy and bring in another freshman or you know a transfer just based on uh one guy leaving all right, uh, cool. Well, then, last one, Brian, and we'll kind of talk about the vagueness of the NCAA and this. And it, you know, even the coaches, I think, don't quite understand some of the the you know decrees that come down from the NCAA. We're trying to understand it. I know you've had conversations with the NCAA, and it could be confusing. You've talked to other reporters that have had the same thing, but they, it's all kind of tied to this question with Casey. And this has been brought up before, but. Uh, we might as well talk about it again. Since USC is appealing and placing a 2010 bowl ban and reduction of scholarships this year on themselves, 
uh, due to the sanctions penalties being on hold. If the NCAA, if like say the, the appeal process takes longer than a year and the NCAA decides not to change the punishment for USC, could USC have a bowl ban for 2011 and 2012 also, meaning three years of a bowl ban and then three more years of scholarship reductions from 2012, 13, and 14 because USC you know, postponed the, the, the sanctions and took, a, you know, took the penalty upon themselves but obviously, it wasn't you know upheld by the NCAA. There's a whole thing on if you try to appeal the the sanctions, you have to appeal the whole thing and not partially. What's your understanding of how that whole situation works? Well, you know, initially it was um, in talking with Paul D. Once the report was released, uh, there were several quest- questions asked about appealing the penalties, and from his conversation and him talking about it, it sounded like as soon as you appeal a penalty, that was stayed, and you know, there's no penalty applied right away, but you know, once the appeal committee comes out and it, it would say, yeah, you got to serve the full thing, then you start serving the full thing then. Um, and USC's kind of taken a little bit of its punishment now in case, you know, they end up getting the full thing. Oh, we're going to, you know, appeal the bowl ban. We're going to appeal the scholarships and it's going to be for this year. And, uh, you know, going forward, what does that mean? And uh, the answer is unclear. Uh, you know, I've asked several questions of the NCAA as far as uh, the transfer rules and how everything shakes out. And, you know, all I got back was a list of bylaws. You know, well, you know what? I've already had those bylaws, you know, in, in talking with them. That's what I've been looking at. I'm trying to look for an interpretation. And uh, it really seems that no one at the NCAA can give an interpretation uh, to the media and to the schools and whatnot. And, uh, you know, if you're a, a head coach or if you're a compliance officer, you know, I, I don't I, I really can't comprehend on, you know, trying to know 500 pages worth of bylaws for one. And number two, knowing what they mean and what you can and cannot do, it, you know, that's just such a monumental task. And really, um, you know, just the back and forth I've had with the NCAA over these issues, it, it's just been, well, you know, maybe, OK, this or that. Um, and, and there's been no real hard deadline for anything you know i uh, you know you mentioned the bull ban and maybe serving three years that might be the case we just don't know um and, and i guess until the appeals come out that will be the real time we'll know uh is maybe the appeals committee will say all right you've already served one year so you got another year for 2011 uh if the appeal is unsuccessful or if it is all right you served it you're done um but uh, that, that to me is still unclear. And, uh, you know, when you talk about transfers, it's still unclear when they can transfer. Uh, you know, in, in, in Dan's uh, Weber's Monday column on the uscfootball.com, you know, he asked a bunch of questions. And, you know, I've been trying to get these answers out of the NCAA, and they finally emailed me back yesterday. And, you know, I was asking about a deadline. You know, is there a certain date, you know, whether it be a enrollment date at the school or anything like that, um, that a kid has has until he can transfer? And, I never got an answer on the deadline. You know, it's just, uh, yeah, there's no deadline as long as they meet the requirements. Well, you know, there's, you know, like, 15 different bylaws on the requirements, but is there any require? you know, what's the date? And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it speaks to a vague term and, and um, it, it's, it's all almost a, you know, a farce to me, just, just dealing with them and, and, and the way it's operating with the bylaws and everything. It, it, it's so hard to understand. And I couldn't imagine you know, me looking into it and diving in, in deep as I have, I, I couldn't imagine, uh, you know, a coach dealing with it day after day after day uh, in terms of how he can, you know, talk to a recruit or, or using Facebook on a recruit or, you know, it's, it's just all very difficult. And, and you know, the question is, um, you know, when will you know, we'll never know until the NCAA comes out and says anything. And, and that's all, it's always like a kid, you know, it's always after the fact as, as USC learned in their case, you know, it, Oh, this is a violation after the fact, even though you cleared us, um, that that's, that seems to be a common theme with the NCAA and certainly, um, just, just a big problem for the organization. Yeah. One last thing before I let you go, Brian, I think that a lot of the frustration with USC fans, I don't think USC fans should get too frustrated with the transfers. I mean, there's no starters. There's some backups, certainly guys that could contribute this year or down the line, but you know, it, people don't want to see guys transfer out. Um, but that's the, the major problem here is that even UFC, if USC had everything overturned, it doesn't matter. The transfer part is not stayed. I mean, that, that means the damage is being done to the program. Now, even if all of the sanctions 
would be overturned somehow or an appeal. Obviously, we don't think that's going to happen, but um, that's not what USC is going after. But the damage is being done now with the fact that you know players can get that uncertainty in their minds and, and schools can recruit them and poach them. So even if there's a, a successful appeal, there's still a lot of damage being done. And over the next two years, it'll still be done no matter what. From what the NCAA is saying is that schools will still be allowed to contact these kids, you know, that are, have two years of eligibility at USC and through the season. So, you know, there, there is a case where you could possibly, from my readings and my interpretation of what they told me, is that a kid at the end of the season can transfer to another institution that's going to a BCS Bowl and play in a bowl game. After playing, playing a full year at USC, they can transfer without penalty and go to Florida and play in a BCS Bowl. And, and it's just... Um, kind of absurd the the rules and whatnot and yeah usc is going to get hit you know i think a few more times through transfers because of the way the wording is maybe a kid isn't you know is a little upset with his playing time and come fall camp um and he decides to transfer well schools are still recruiting him he's able to transfer right away without penalty and he can jump in into another school um and play right away so it's it's uh yeah, the appeal is still going on. I think there's a lot of issues with this case against USC, but no matter what, the NCAA has really punished USC right now, and it's hurting them. On the, it'll eventually hurt them you know, down the road, but it's hurting them right now. All right. Well, Brian, we appreciate all the insight, and uh, we're glad you're able to dig in and try to understand what the NCAA is doing here. No one really does, but you do what you can. <laughs> yeah. Try to get it all. But thanks again for joining us. All right, great to be on. All right, everyone else, back in 30 seconds. We're going to catch up with Harvey Hyde. Coming back from Las Vegas and L.A., we'll catch up with him in the car, get some questions for him. Back in 30 seconds. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We are joined on the phone, on a cell phone this time, Coach Harvey Hyde en route from Las Vegas to L.A., heading back home to uh, Pasadena where he is the, the mayor, the acting mayor of Pasadena. Coach, what's going on, sir? I don't know about acting mayor of Pasadena, <laughs> but I am heading back from Las Vegas. Wow, I'll tell you what, it's been hot up here this week. Supposed to be today, Wednesday, 111, and to go to 113 tomorrow. So if you're planning on going to Vegas this weekend, any of you listeners, make sure you take a lot of water. and Don't let your uh, pet stay in the car and do all the things that are necessary. Don't get dehydrated because it is going to be a warm one. Wow. All right, Coach. Well, I hope you had a good time out there. And uh, you know, what were you doing in Vegas? I tell you, I had a great time. I went up and did a couple of uh, radio shows and then also... I was at the NBA Summer League, and it was great to go over there. And I'll tell you, both gyms are going, 22 teams there. And, uh, you know, all the first-round draft choices are there. O.J. Mayo was playing last night. And uh, it's every hoo-hoo in basketball that's there, or wannabes that are there. The, the arenas are full, not not the Cox Pavilion. Or the Cox Pavilion is full, but not the Thomas and Mack. But a lot of games and and. and and uh, great atmosphere and everybody talking basketball. So I really enjoyed it. It was a nice trip. All right. Well, one of the interesting topics this week, and I wanted—I know you, offensive line is a big part of what you like to talk about. And it's always a big part of the team for you, in your opinion. We had a couple offensive line questions we, we asked with Brian Fisher in the first segment of the show. And, uh, you know, there was some concern about the depth and concern that, you know, not having a guy like Sean Charles Henderson, what that would do for the future and, you know, recruiting-wise, what's going to happen there. If you look at the – we have a scholarship distribution chart up on uscfootball.com. It's actually the distribution isn't all that bad. There's three seniors, uh, Chris O'Dowd, Butch Lewis, and Zach Haberer. Uh, there's three juniors, Michael Reardon, Tyron Smith, Martin Coleman. Now, albeit Reardon's been hurt a lot, and Coleman's really hasn't contributed, so there's 
some concern there. Then you got the young guys. There's two sophomores, Matt Khalil and Khalid Holmes. The new freshman, Giovanni DiPaolo. And then John Martinez and Kevin Graff, who redshirted their redshirt freshman from last year. Uh, Coach, just going forward, I mean, you know, knowing that USC has these scholarship reductions, it looks like still the offensive line is going to have to be a priority. But what do you think overall about the depth of this offensive line? Well, obviously you never have enough offensive linemen because that's where I think the game is won or lost as far as, well, on the defensive line and the offensive line. You've got to be physical. You've got to uh, anticipate uh, someone getting hurt. You don't want anybody to get hurt. But someone's going to miss a game or two. So you've got to cross-train a lot of your top athletes. You always want your top five combination in the game at the same time. You know, you don't want to drop down in a position because someone hadn't been top or cross-trained. So you always have, you know, a guard learning the center position and the right guard learning the left guard position, and you have the right tackle knowing the left tackle position and so on if necessary. But you always want your top five players on the field. You've got to have that. So when you have lack of depth, then you have to do more cross-training than you normally do. And I, and I really think that a lot of these young players you mentioned, Martin Coleman, uh, really surprised me this past spring, and I thought he did a good job. I said, I think a lot of the others are maturing. And, you know, when you have a lot of, uh, of lack of depth, these young players who didn't feel they were going to play, all of, a sudden, all of a sudden, you know, they start working out harder. All of a sudden, their eyeballs start dilating. All of a sudden, they start thinking about playing football and being on a team that should be pretty good in a team that's got something to prove to the nation. And all of a sudden, things come together because you try to make a negative a positive, and you never allow or you don't talk about the lack of something. You always talk about what we have, and I think that this is the type of program that ST's going to be. If they do have a lack of something, you won't hear about it there'll be someone who has the opportunity to step up and take that position. Now, with the offensive line specifically, I think USC's done a great job of recruiting five-star talent. I mean, they have a lot of talent on this roster. There's a lot of young talent. Guys coming in, there's just not some, there's not a lot of linemen coming into this class of 2010. Uh, But say, you know, for say 2011, if they can get three or four or five guys on the offensive line, is it a stretch I mean, it's not a stretch for a freshman receiver to play or a freshman running back, things like that. Even a freshman quarterback, we saw that last year with Matt Barkley. It seems very rare that you get an offensive lineman that's a freshman to come in and play. Uh, What are your expectations for something like that happening at USC? Is that something that's possible? Because it could, I mean, USC could need that to happen over the next couple of years with the reduction of scholarships. Well, you know, you don't want that to happen. You really don't. You might be able to have a redshirt freshman start and and learn the system and play pretty well for you, but you don't want to have an entire line be a freshman uh, offensive line. That really would hurt you no matter what star they are, but they don't have the experience or the spring practice or so on to learn the system. And to be honest with you, you get toughened up. I I tell you, to, to make the jump from high school to the college level and from the college level to the NFL level is quite a difference of speed, quickness, and toughness and strength. Even this young kid, uh, Henderson, who was going to come in, a lot of people had him penciled in a lot of the publications to be a starter at USC. I don't believe that would have happened, even as talented as what he was. He hasn't trained. He's out of shape. He doesn't know the system. He's not in summer workouts. I don't see how he would have been able to come into USC and contribute this year, and I don't see how he can go to Miami and contribute this year, unless they just don't have anyone. So, you know, uh, things are meant to happen. And, you know, if the kid didn't want to be a part of SC, and here he is, the number one recruit in the country by some polls last year and so on, you know, let's see what happens. Let's see if he gets in Miami. Uh, that's another question that's out there. And, you know, not to be in summer workouts or not to be able to commit yourself to a program you know, then, then that's, that doesn't, you know, what is it? What is the old term? You know, uh, if you have one bad apple in a case of apples, they, it turns them all bad. So, uh, you know, things will work out. It's tough for a freshman, though, to come in and play the offensive line. A freshman could probably play and contribute more as a defensive lineman 
because you can line up and if you've got great physical skill, just turn yourself loose and get it done. But on offense, you've got technique. You've got to all work together. You got to listen to the calls. You got to recognize the defenses, and you got to be able to pick up blitzes and blitzes and so and so on. So it's a it's the most difficult position on a football team to play. All right. Well, thanks for that, Coach. There was some also some talk about we talked about the number of scholarships. Right now, uh, from our count, USC has seventy one guys on scholarship. You can have up to eighty five. Uh, so you know, there were some transfers and stuff, so they obviously lost a few guys. They seem to always stay under that 85 limit anyway fairly regularly. But yeah, you know, this team could get thin, uh, even more thin over the next couple of years, depending on what happens with some of the recruits they bring in, what the classes are. There's a lot of different ways, the directions this team could go. I think Lane Kiffin and his staff has proved they can recruit a lot of talent, but I think depth is going to probably be an issue for the next couple of years when you were a coach, I mean, it, either a head coach or assistant coach, anything, were there ever, what happens when you get desperate at a position where there really is, I mean, you lose almost everybody in that position, either from attrition or injuries or whatever, and, you know, you rely on walk-ons. Like, what what kind of situations have you seen where things really have become desperate uh, as a football coach? Well, you know, you have to be able to adjust. as an old saying, adjust or die. So you've got to maybe sometimes change your philosophy of what type of offense you're running or what you're doing offensively or where your main offensive uh, philosophy is going to be and so on to cover up a lot of your weaknesses, you know, and, and sometimes that might be going to a double type as balancing the defenses. It might be more to a running game than a passing game, depending what position that you're really weak at. And uh, that happens. And sometimes you get by with people not recognizing it, but it doesn't stay a secret very long. Everybody's got the videos. Everybody knows, well, they just don't have the speed outside this year, so let's man up on them. But if they can't hurt us with the deep ball or, or their left tackle just can't block this type of, uh, you know, our quickest uh, really pass rushers, the right defensive end, and there's no way that he can block us, so let's turn him loose and, and try to get some sacks this week. So, you know, you evaluate the talent weekly, not just on your own team, but on every team you play and try to create mismatches. So you see people then trying to create mismatches against you, and you try to, of course, try to cover up the mismatch by maybe double-teaming or helping that person who can't handle the guy on top of him or doing more chip blocking with the backs rather before before they go out or maybe not putting backs out on pass right routes because you've got to be able to pass block or maybe you can't play man because your corners can't run and you better be able to have corners that can run to play man or you have to you're forced to go to a zone type of defense and and maybe if you don't have a lot of depth you might have to tone down your practices and I've done this before when I haven't had a lot of depth I've had to cut the hitting down. I've had to be realistic. We can't hit as much. We go more against cones and more against bags and so on and try to execute that rather than take the chance of losing someone in practice. So you've got to do a lot of adjustments to cover up your weaknesses, and if you just don't have a lot of depth because you have great players, well, you don't want to lose them in practice. Yes, you've got to get ready to play, but you don't want to do anything that might cause you to lose someone in practice all right makes sense coach and then uh one last thing we wanted to talk about uh, i've got a question from david and he wanted to know who you think would be better equipped to deal with all these usc sanctions lane kiffin the current head coach or pete carroll if he stuck around and stayed at usc who do you think would have been better off kind of handling these sanctions well, I don't know if anybody would be good at handling these sanctions because they really do uh, bother you and, you and you, you know, you want to speak out. Right now, Pete Carroll is speaking out a lot because he's not a part of USC. If he was at USC, he couldn't make the comments he's making regarding the NCAA and so on. He would be on, he would have to zip up or he would just get USC in further trouble. I personally think that he shouldn't continually talk about what happened at USC and so on, because all that does is continue to point towards the program. It hurts it in recruiting and so on. People listen to him. Uh, he's writing a book. He's on a book tour and all of these things that are going on. And, and you don't want to bring up negative things. 
uh, if you notice, Lane Kiffin hasn't talked about it at, at all, as far as I've heard, or anybody on the FC department in the FC department. They're accepting it. They've told everybody they're going to appeal it, and they're moving on. I think Pete is talking a lot about it all the time, and and uh, I see him on TV. I see him talking and reading articles about it, and so on. And he wouldn't be able to do that if he was still at USC. Who can deal the best with it? I don't think anybody can deal well with that when you when you have that problem. I think that uh, probably more questions would have been asked Pete Carroll about the incident as far as did you know how did how you why didn't you know how couldn't you know uh, these type of things uh, than than being asked to Lane Kiffin. Uh, so you know I, I I don't think anybody can deal with it well, but I think that he wouldn't be able to talk about it as he is talking about it, and I think Lane Kiffin is. I think Lane Kiffin has done a great job since he's come into USC. He's come into USC. He was greeted with a negative press conference as far as the press in Southern California. It wasn't like, welcome home. It wasn't like, it's great to see you back, coach. What's it feel like to be back as a Trojan? It was, why did you leave Tennessee? What was all that stuff you were doing at Tennessee? Why does Tennessee hate you? Uh, did you bring your dog so nobody will shoot your dog? I mean... I mean, I thought his welcome to Southern California was very negative as far as the Southern California press, and I think he dealt with that perfectly. I, he has a different personality than Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll uh, is out there throwing football and kissing babies. Uh, Lane Kiffin's philosophy is more quiet, more businesslike, uh, uh, younger than Pete Carroll, but yet has a positive approach to the players. The players like the current staff that's there. So I think Lane Kiffin has dealt with all of this with a lot of class. He's done a great job of recruiting and saving last year's class that where there was a changeover as far as the coaching situation and has now verbally committed a great group of 11 players who stayed committed. So to say one would do better than the other, I don't know. All I know is that Pete Carroll has the opportunity now since he's not at FC to talk more about it and be interviewed more about it than he would have been able to do. If he was still at FC, he would be told, don't talk about it, and he couldn't. Yeah, I, Coach, I agree with you. And the, the part with Lane Kiffin, and I've done a lot of different radio shows, people across the country, they love to try to bash Lane Kiffin, and you know maybe he's not as gregarious or whatever as Pete Carroll was. He, like you said, he has a different personality, but man... I don't think you'd wish this on anybody, what he's had to deal with when first you're replacing a legend coming in and trying to do that. And then, you know, putting together this recruiting class from 2010, keeping what Pete Carroll had, adding to it, making it the number one class in the country, and then trying to recruit amidst all the sanctions and negativity that's surrounding the program. Everything that he's been able to control, like spring football, like the class of 2011 recruiting, He's done an amazing job, and you know, with everything that's going on negative around him, the fact that he's still getting guys like a Kent Tureen from Florida to commit, uh, you know, to, to be able to have a positive spring practice like he did. They're having you know really spirited offseason workouts. He seems to be you know rolling, rolling towards this season. If he's able to keep the momentum going and keep them focused on what's going on, I think they can have a great year. But he's done it under really crazy circumstances. I agree 100%, and I don't see anybody talking about it. That's why I want to talk about it for a moment, and you haven't asked me this question, and I never asked you to ask me this question. Look at the type of athletic teams and success the athletic department has had over the past several years. Especially this year, five national championships, five national championships at USC, and I think the golf team took second. Otherwise, it'd be six national championships. I think the women's golf team took second. Five national championships at USC this year, more than any other university in the country. Does anybody write about this? Does anybody talk about this? Does anybody talk about academically how well the athletic department has done nationally and ranked as far as in the Pac-10? Does anyone talk about the amount of money that has been raised during Mike Garrett's era, $375 million, the Galen Center, and now the new football facility? and all the other things that are going on over there. Does anybody talk about No, people just point to the negative, and it's, it's really sometimes irritating to me because people talk about the negative things more than talking about the positive things. And as, as a Trojan 
booster or fan or graduate or wherever you might be, look at all the positive things. Don't worry about the negative things. The positive things far outnumber the negative things, and everyone out there understands that. And they know that, but they keep pointing to the negative, negative things because they just don't know how to deal with all the success the Trojans have had. That's a really good point, Coach. I think a lot of Trojan fans are going to be happy to hear that. There has been a lot of success. Mike Garrett's got a lot of uh, flack and grief because of the major programs, the high-profile programs right now. But there has been a lot of success in the you know as a USC fan or a USC alum or a booster, whatever you are. I think you should look to that, like you said. There is so much positive. Try to look to that, even though there's so much negative going on right now. And I'll tell you, the Trojan football team will not let down the tradition at USC. Now, I always tell you the truth. If they don't play well, I give you my opinion right here on all the other things I do. I'm not one to cover up any items. So I think the Trojan football team will play well. They'll come out enthusiastic. They've got a challenging schedule. They've got something to prove. And I think this football team will represent the University of Southern California and themselves very well. All right, Coach. Well, we appreciate all your time and candor and all these different topics. And thanks for joining us in the car on the way back from Las Vegas. And we'll talk to you next week, probably back in your lush studios at home. Thank you. Let's don't forget to thank Southern California Ticket Service. Yeah, sctickets.com. Thank you guys for your sponsorship in this program. Thanks again, Coach. Everyone else, we'll talk to you again next week. This is the Peristyle Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.